with all confidence, I am able to tell you that we are coming to the end of our study of John chapter 6, the ninth study in a series of studies in this great chapter. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean we stop in John 6. No, we go on to John 7 as soon as we're done. But uh, we've been here long enough, and, and, and really, because the theme is so significant and pertinent to our understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ, in his own description of himself as the bread of life. That he who partakes of Jesus, as he puts it in a very strong way, and, and of course, over all of these weeks, you know, it, it's just been building to this particular moment in which we're going to see a turning point take place in his ministry. And it's a, it's a major turning point. He is saying, Un unless you eat me and drink my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood, he's not describing uh, some cannibalistic issue because we know that that would be against the law of God, the, the very law that he himself gave. It isn't about communion in the sense of the bread and blood, or the bread and the cup, I should say, turning into the body and blood of Jesus, mystically. It's not about that. Jesus made it very clear. And the understanding to the mindset of the Hebrews of that time was that, listen, he's speaking in metaphor. He's saying, you know, if you take him in completely, you will be saved. You will be living for eternity. And yet he had his detractors. He had those that probably thought that he was talking about some cannibalistic uh, right or, or maybe some other issue. But do you know that it wasn't so much that as it was when he said, I'm the bread from heaven that has come from heaven and from my Father to you. That's what tripped them up. And as I said last, well, the last few times that, that Jesus was, was, was known by everyone. He, here was this boy who grew up in Nazareth. How could he say that he came from heaven? But they hadn't read the scriptures and they hadn't dealt with the issue of who the Messiah was. So I want to take you to John 6, verse 53. I want to begin reading this part and going back and reviewing since it was two weeks since we were here in John. And I do thank the Lord for Pastor Joseph who was here last week and spoke, uh, gave a wonderful message on, on the issue of forgiveness. And let's never forget that. Uh, would you turn this bank of lights off? Uh, 
the two in the middle here? Someone? I just want it to be clear when you read it. Thank you. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread, speaking of himself, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And so in our last study, we were outlining the results of partaking in and receiving Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And by the way, I want to mention that everything has been tied all the way to the beginning of the chapter. That's why we've spent so much time. Everything goes back to that, that event where Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families, anywhere from twelve to 15,000 people, from a little boy's lunch, five barley loaves and two fish, and out of that, he distributed to his disciples to give to the people who were, who were sitting in groups of 50 and hundreds. And out of all that came out of that one lunch, 12 baskets were filled with leftovers, each basket to be given to each of those disciples to remind them Jesus is our supply. And you can go back and you can remember the questions that Jesus asked about, how are we going to feed all these people? Well, Jesus knew exactly. He was the one who fed them. But you go all the way back to this, to this uh, thing where, where he's calling himself the bread of life. And so the results that we talked about toward the end of last, uh, the last study that we had, the results of partaking in and receiving Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the first result was found in verse 54. And the first result of partaking in, in Christ is eternal life. It says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And as we learn, the verse illustrated hungering after Christ and eagerly wanting to feed and feast on him continuously. So in coming there in verse 54, that, uh, that statement that he makes about eating his flesh and drinking his blood is something that is, of course, taking, in, taking him completely in. And by the way, let's remember something. It's not about cannibalism. It's not about communion. Do you know what it is? It's pointing to the cross. It's pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. His body, his flesh, placed on a cross, nailed to a tree. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We sure complicate matters, don't we, when we try to over-spiritualize what Jesus is saying. The second result is found in verse 55. And the second result is true satisfaction. And I'm just giving you a review of what we studied a couple of weeks ago. 
Verse 55 says, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. True satisfaction is a result of partaking in Jesus Christ. Real and abundant life comes from eating and drinking Christ, which means this, and I, and I talked about this two weeks ago. It is a complete surrender to Jesus Christ. A complete surrender. And remember that I said, when you eat and drink, you are surrendering to the food. The food is not surrendering to you. Do you remember that? If you were here, you remember I said that. When we surrender to, well, I should say when we eat, we surrender to the food, not the food surrenders to us. You know why that is? Because if we get, eat good food and, and healthy food, as it were, uh, let's just say safe food, well, it's going to do what it does in our bodies for the nutrition that our bodies need. But if we partake in bad food, what happens? Uh, uh, you know, whatever. Well, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? See, we have surrendered to the food. Do, do you understand the picture then? So when we partake of Jesus Christ, we are surrendering to him. He's not surrendering to us. We surrender to him, we take him in, we receive what he's done for us, and establish through this partaking a deep relationship with him, a deep relationship with Jesus. The third result is supernatural companionship and fellowship with Christ. Verse 56 he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. And the focal point is the word dwells or dwelleth. When we partake of Jesus, we will abide in him, we will dwell in him, we will continue in him, and we will rest in and upon him. And you can, you can uh, make a little side note and a, and a, a cross-reference to John 15 where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And that we are, you know, he's, he's the vine, we're the branches, we abide in him. And this is how we again feed on him. As we continue on in our text, let's add one more result to partaking and receiving of Christ. This is where we, we stopped last time. But the fourth result is a life full of purpose, a life full of significance, and a life full of meaning. And you might say, well, is that important? Well, it is, because it is to Jesus. Consider verse 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Jesus said, I live by the Father. I live by the Father. Now, that means at least two things. First of all, it means Jesus lived by the Father, capital B-Y, lived by the Father, that is, because of or on account of the Father. His life, in all of its purpose and meaning and significance, was due to the Father. So that's one way of looking at it. Then you can look at the second way. Jesus lived for the Father. He not only lived by the Father and on account of the Father, but he lived for the Father. That is, he lived to do the Father's will. We know this because he, he has said this a few times, especially even here in chapter 6. The Father sent His only begotten Son to live on earth for a specific purpose. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. His life in all of its purpose, in all of its meaning and significance was lived to fulfill the Father's will and the Father's works. 
And so the person who partakes of and receives Christ lives by Christ. What does Paul say? And I'll, I'll come to this verse in just a moment. But what does Paul say? It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. They who come to Christ begin to live in all the purpose, meaning, and significance of life. For apart from Christ, there is no life. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no life. Go back to verse 53. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. No spiritual life. Remember, you might have physical life, but you have no spiritual life. And what will last? Physical life. We know that doesn't happen. But spiritually, we can live forever with Christ. Once again, the term of the verb, or I should say the tense, the tense of the verb to live by is a present continuous action. We live by Christ each and every day. If we are dwelling in Christ each and every day, then we're living in Christ each and every day. And we feed upon him every day, and we live by him, and we live for him. A person must continue to partake, eat, and feast upon Christ to keep their sense of purpose and meaning to really live in that, to really live abundantly. And when I use that word abundantly, I am talking about the fullness of the life that Christ has given us for eternity. And now we come to that verse that I just quoted from, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, or liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't there, is there, is there any greater purpose and meaning and significance in our lives apart from Jesus Christ? There isn't. And there is no meaning apart from our being dead to ourselves and alive in Christ. There can be no greater purpose, no greater meaning or significance for the believer in Jesus Christ than to live every breath for the one who loved us with an everlasting love and gave himself for us that we may live for him to the very end. To the very end. And folks, we know there'll be hiccups along the way. Right? Y'all get hiccups from time to time? Not all the time, but you get them from time to time. They're, just, they're not always comfortable. And we don't laugh about it. I mean, some people laugh at us, but we don't laugh about it. You know, those hiccups are hiccups in our lives. We have a little, you know, you know. The road bumps of life, you know. They happen from time to time. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said, I'm going to be with you to the end? I know about your hiccups. If, any, if anything can prove to us how much the Lord loves us, just look at Israel. Just look at how Jesus loves, I mean, well, Jesus loves Israel, but look at how God in his fullness loves Israel. Most of, a lot of the church today has written them off, but God hasn't. So that was just a quick, you know, I could go on about Israel, but that's, that's not what we're talking about today. But it just, it just came to mind how... How wonderful the Lord is to love us even through our hiccups in life and our struggles in life. Oh, by the way, Paul also said this in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have to know the Lord 
But if we die, we can die as a gain because what, what we gain is Christ. What we gain is being in his presence forever and ever. Lastly, the fifth result of partaking in and receiving Christ, the fifth result anyway up to this point, is incorruptible food. Incorruptible food within our hearts to give strength to our lives forever. That's in verse 58. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Jesus made a strong descriptive contrast here. The manna eaten by Israel did come from above. It did come, you know, some people say it came from the clouds above. The manna came from above. But it did not give life to the people. It came from God to give them temporary sustenance in the wilderness. To show them that God was going to provide their bread, their daily bread, each and every day. You remember what they were supposed to do. They were to gather up the bread every morning, gather it up, use it for the day. But then if they had anything left over, they were to get rid of it. Why? Because the next day there would be more, more bread. And yet still, they all died. They eventually all died. And when Jesus said, this is that bread which came down from heaven, he was speaking of himself. The idea is striking in that it is the living bread. Remember I made the contrast between living bread and the regular bread we eat every day, but which by the way, as wonderful as bread smells, oh my goodness, sometimes I think I'm in some kind of heaven when I walk by a bakery and you could smell, you know. Give me a minute. As wonderful as that bread can smell, folks, in effect, it's dead bread. Why? Because you have to kill it to do something with it. You got to crush this, the weed. You got to crush it, you know. And then, of course, turn it into powder, and then turn it into flour, and then you turn it into, and then you add stuff to it, you know. Sometimes a living agent and causes it to grow. And then we think about what the Bible says about yeast and, and leaven. And then sometimes he uses that as an example of, of sin, you know, that grows. But the point is, you still need more bread the next day. It's eventually gone and dead. Jesus says, I'm the living bread. Living bread. Christ himself who gives life and energy and strength to man to live forever. He alone has that quality, the power, the substance to quicken and to make alive and to strengthen. Remember what we read in John 1 verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. In him was life. Remember what Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't whisper. I'm the way, the truth, and the Hey, all right. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. John 5, 26, what Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. And we're not talking about it just physical life. We're talking about eternal life. That's what the Father cares about. 
Think about the statement of Paul to Timothy, a son in the faith, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. After Paul tells him, the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of power, uh, you know, the, the Lord has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, he's given us that, you know, in the ministry because poor, uh, poor Timothy was going through a tremendous struggle as a, as a pastor in Ephesus and all. But then this is what he says right after that. He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Notice the next verse. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life and immortality. You see, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about something. He talks about the very fact that the corruptible, this flesh in which we are living in today, the corruptible shall put on incorruption, and the mortal, because as far as these bodies are concerned, these bodies aren't going to go to heaven. The bodies themselves are going to be buried or left here on the earth waiting for the coming of Jesus and whatnot, you know, for the, for the dead to rise again first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, but not our bodies. So the mortal will put on immortality. So consider the strength of what, Jesus is say, what Paul is saying about Jesus coming and giving us life and immortality. Because that points to our getting into heaven and being with Jesus Christ forever. Getting back to our text, verse 58 is one of those significant turning points in the ministry of Jesus. Here's where that turning point begins. This is that bread. It's not up here, it's in your Bibles. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. What you need to understand is, is the force behind what Jesus was saying in this, in this statement. It is as if the Lord was saying to his listeners, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. This is that bread. There is no other bread. This is that life which came down from heaven. Do you notice that he doesn't even say verily, verily? Because he's already told the truth. Time and again he tells the truth of who he is. Now he states it in an authoritative way. This is that bread from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall, li uh, shall live forever. Take it or leave it. The time had come, listen, the time had come to begin winnowing, winnowing the chaff from the wheat. The winnowing floor where they would take the, all the wheat that was gathered. And of course, they would take the wheat and, and all and separate it from, the, you know, from, uh, from all of the weeds and stuff. Then they would throw it and they would take that miller's wheel and take it and crush, crush all of the grain together. 
And then they would jump in and with these big rakes, they would cast the wheat and the chaff up in the air and the chaff being lighter than the wheat would be carried off by the wind. And where it would fall would remain, which was the meat of the grain, the good. And Jesus, to some extent, is winnowing even here now. Those who have heard him throughout this whole event from the time of the distribution of the bread and the fish to the thousands of people. And everything in his ministry begins to change now as to how he is being perceived, how he's being seen. And this turning point in Christ's ministry was so important that John mentions the place in verse 59. These things that he, in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Now, I mentioned not too long ago that it's interesting that when you look at this whole chapter, one of the long, well, the longest chapter here so far, that we were only looking at about the spread of two days, possibly longer, but everything is encapsulated in two, two days. And up to this point, we have followed Jesus from that hillside where he fed the 5,000 men and their families with this little boy's lunch to a place. We followed him to a place of solitude. Remember when they came after him and they said, we're going to make him a king, and he knew what they were trying to do, make him a king against Rome. And, and he, he left, and he went up to a place where he probably spent time with the Father in prayer. But then from there, we followed him all the way down to the Sea of Galilee to, to bring his frightened disciples through a storm who were on the sea going to where they were told to meet Jesus, but they faced a storm. And Jesus walks on the water to them and to their boat and brings them safely to shore. But then following that incident, the people followed him and sought him where? In Capernaum. And John now reveals where this discourse, the discourse of everything Jesus has said so far in this chapter from verses 25 to 58, where it all took place. And it's significant that it was in the synagogue in Capernaum. We, we, I didn't mention this before only because I wanted you to see that this is the most obvious place for Jesus to have met with his critics who murmured about the things that he was saying. We know now why and how the religious critics of Jesus became a major part of this discourse when it did. What we discover in the last portion of this chapter is that not only the Lord's foes were disturbed by his teaching, consider what the rest of the chapter says. And I want you to just read, let's read it down to the end. We'll, we'll touch on a few things along the way, but let's read this to the end. Many, therefore, of his disciples, notice, 
many of his disciples. Now, we, we have to include the, the understanding that this is not mentioning the, the 12 or more accurately the 11 as you'll see in a moment as well. But many therefore of his disciples when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of, the father, of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, that Christ, that Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. In a very stark, striking, and sobering scene, we find the Lord Jesus knowing the very hearts of his soon-to-be-departing followers and disciples. He knew their hearts. They had difficulty accepting what Jesus had said, all of the things that Jesus was saying about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And obviously among themselves they were saying, this is a rough and harsh saying, because that's what the word hard means in the Greek. It means rough and harsh. It's a harsh saying, a harsh statement. What the Lord had proclaimed was hard and difficult to accept. But his words were very clear. Their problem was not so much in their understanding as it was in their hearts. And Jesus, knowing this, gave some reasons why men are so offended by him. The misunderstanding of the multitude was bad enough, but the murmuring among the many who had attached themselves to the miracle-working Messiah in expectation of some soon-coming material kingdom was the worst of all. And so it is quite possible that the Lord deliberately provoked this crisis to weed out those who were after only the loaves and the fish. That had already been stated by Jesus before. He says, you're not following me for the miracle, but for the loaves and the fish. You're following me for the bread, the material. And not because of who I am. So what Jesus first does here is exposes their hearts. 
Jesus exposes their hearts. Notice verses 60 and 61. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? And when Jesus knew himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does, does this offend you? <laughs> what we know is that even those who had grasped the metaphor were outraged. Because in their eyes, the Lord had made himself greater than Moses. But he was, wasn't he? Your father, or the father, gave you manna, gave, gave your, this, your ancestors uh, in the wilderness manna from heaven, yet they still died. I come to give you bread so that you can live forever. Now, they, Jesus was, a, was, to some extent in their minds, attacking their hero, Moses. We already talked about that, right? Moses was a servant of God. They had attached their affections to a man, not to God. So in their eyes, the Lord had made himself greater than Moses, but he was greater than Moses. He claimed to come from heaven. He did come from heaven. He claimed to be the one with God. Well, he was one with God. He was God. But Jesus was pointing to his death as the way to life. Again, every mention of his flesh, every mention of his, of, of his blood was setting a picture as to why he came. That he and his body was going to take our sins upon the cross. And his blood was going to be shed as the blood of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world on our behalf. The Lord's discourse where it was not unclear or unintelligible was downright offensive. And they said, who can listen to this kind of talk? And so the Lord exposed their hearts. And I can tell you this, people today don't want to hear this kind of talk from the Lord. They don't want to hear this kind of talk from the Lord. Why, why do you think it is that in, in many churches today, they're putting aside the Bible, either they're putting aside the Bible or they're going to find some kind of a Bible that they can actually agree with, some kind of Bible translation that, that you know, that makes it a lot easier for me to, to believe that Jesus really doesn't want us to be this kind of committed to, to him and, and, and we can just kind of come and go as we please. So many turn to fables. So many turn to fables. You want to read a book that's, you want to read a, a, a Bible paraphrase that has a lot of fables in it? Just read something called The Message. Well, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. thought of the words of, of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 2 through 4 when he says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's today. 
But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. People, people wanting to go here and there to be made, you know, to be made to feel really, you know, I just want to feel good, you know. I just want to be hearing good stuff. I don't want to hear all this stuff about judgment. I don't want to hear all this stuff about, you know, what's happening in the last days. I mean, you know, I, I read some book, you know, that told me that we shouldn't focus our attention on prophecy. Well, maybe some, per, some person is telling you not to focus on prophecy, but Jesus said, you know, you better focus on prophecy. Just read Matthew 24. Just read Mark 13 and read Luke 20, uh, 21. People's hearts are being exposed today, folks. Because they're not being grounded in the Word of God. Jesus then explained the supernatural nature of things in verse 62 when he says, What if? What an if? You shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. Do you remember the question in the previous verse? When he said, does this offend you? You think the things that I've just said all this time have offended you? And this provides a context for the following question. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Will this offend you as well? You see the context? You see how it, it, it works in, in our understanding of what, what, of what Jesus was saying to them? You think you're offended by that? Are you going to be offended as well by seeing the Son of Man ascend up where he came from? Jesus was declaring emphatically that he was in heaven before his incarnation and he would go back to heaven after his resurrection. It was a declaration of his unchanging personality before his birth, during his earthly life, after his ascension. It is the very same person. It is the very same personality. The Lord's whole life was a supernatural life. His birth, supernatural. His life, supernatural. His miracles, supernatural. His death, supernatural. His resurrection, supernatural. His bodily ascension into heaven, it was all supernatural. And Jesus pointed to the supernatural nature of his coming ascension as proof of the supernatural nature of his incarnation. Proof of what he was saying all along. I am the bread that came from heaven. Are men offended by the ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ? You better believe it. They most certainly are. People today are very offended by these things. Just as people who don't want to believe in the Scriptures as God's Word. You see, if a person accepts the truth, listen, if a person accepts the truth of the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, then they have to surrender the control of their life to Jesus. I want to say it again because I don't want you to miss this. If a person accepts the truth of the ascension and exaltation of Jesus, which of course includes his incarnation all the way up to his ascension, it's all connected together. But if a person accepts the truth of the ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ, they have to surrender the control of their life to Jesus. 
They surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. They surrender to Jesus as the Son of Man. That's the reason why Son of Man is mentioned in this passage. The Son of Man who is the ideal and perfect man, the pattern for all men to copy. The counterfeit disciple is unwilling to do these things. You know, sometimes we sing a song, Take Me As I Am, Lord. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Just as I am. But what are we saying to the Lord? I come to you just as I am, but change me because I don't want to leave here the way I came. But you know what the, what, the, what the hymn is for people today? Lord, I come to you just as I am, and would you lead me that way? Would you leave me that way? Because, you know, I just come on Sunday and I really enjoy the singing and I really enjoy this and that on Sunday. But you know what? Monday comes and I want to just be me. I want to be me. I want to be me. Lord, just as I am, Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Let's be willing to let God move in our hearts and, and change us. There was more to it than the supernatural. Jesus also explained the spiritual nature of things. Verse 63, he said, it is a spirit that quickeneth. In other words, it is a spirit that gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And they are life. I want you to see the contrast here. It is a spirit that makes alive. It is a spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. We are reminded of the Lord's words to Nicodemus. Remember in John 3, verse 6, he said to him, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but, and, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a major contrast here. The Lord's words, and again, I want to emphasize his words, the Lord's words are life-giving. They are life-giving. They are spiritual, and they can engender spiritual life. They make alive, imparting the life of God. It is His Spirit in the human spirit which imparts the life of God, and that Spirit resides in His Word. Listen, even if, even if a priest... Or, or, or some kind of minister or reverend. I don't like the word reverend. I have to make a little commentary here. Reverend. I get mail that says reverend. I want to pass it on to somebody else in the office, you know. See, it's, it's I understand what, where, where it comes from, you know, but, but the point is, you know what, the only one that is Worthy of reverence is God. 
and Christ. But if a priest or a, or a minister or a member of some ministry could, could give, if a priest could give Christ's flesh to another, if he could, do you know what? It would profit nothing. This is what Jesus is saying. The words that I speak unto you, please take note. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Take note again of what Jesus says in verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. You see, here's the problem. There are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. They did not accept his words and therefore they did not have the Spirit of God abiding in them nor did they have life. They were only existing. Have you ever thought about this? You know, maybe it was before you came to Christ. I hope it was before you came to Christ. That you would probably sit around and you know you 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 think you know I I go through this whole rut in my life and and go through all these routines and everything just ha- kind of happens all at the same time and you sit back and you say I just feel like I'm only existing. Please don't feel that as a believer in Jesus Christ, because if you say that, then you are really saying you don't you're not really trusting in what the Lord has given you as His purpose for you. So that's why I say, hopefully that was back when, before you came to Christ, that you were thinking, well, I'm only existing. I'm just kind of taking up space in the cosmic, you know, goop that we're in. But folks, we're not only existing. If we know Jesus Christ, we have life. And that life is abundant and eternal they did not have the knowledge, you see. They did not have the knowledge and the unswerving assurance of living forever. They doubted. And they wondered. Possibly hoping, but never quite sure. There are some people like that today. And, and frankly, they're that way today because they haven't been told the truth. Maybe they've been told some form of the truth. We've heard about the form of godliness. There are some people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, Paul says. So consequently here, there were two circles of disciples. The outer circle, which we've just described, and the twelve. The inner circle. The twelve. Or should I say the eleven? who had made a hard commitment to Jesus as Messiah. But even here the Lord was not deceived because Jesus knew not, or, I'm sorry, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And it says, who should betray him? This is the first indication, the first hint of the future treachery of Judas Iscariot. Now please understand that he may have been able to deceive the other disciples almost to the very end. 
But he never could deceive Jesus. He never could deceive Jesus. And in verse 65 it says, He said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. No man can come unto me except the Father draw him to me. Except the Father stir your heart to me. And they needed to understand that. If they weren't getting it, they weren't getting it here. They weren't getting it in their heart. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They said, that's enough. We've had enough of this hard stuff. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Do you know what Peter was saying here? So that you'll understand the full extent of what he said in the original language. He said to Jesus, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. You and you alone. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Mashiach, that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil? It's interesting here that the word in the Greek that is used is, is not the word that is attached to uh, demons. It is diabolos. A devil. We need to understand what diabolos means. It means a false accuser. We'll see more of that in the life of Judas later. But that's what Jesus was saying. He says, one of you is a devil. A false accuser. He spake of Jesus Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he was that, or he for it for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Men are offended by the fact that God draws and saves man, and that man does not save himself. Do you know that people are offended today? That they don't have some part of their own salvation? What is it that we bring to our salvation? We bring anything good. The Bible says there are none good. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, this is what Paul was saying in the book of Romans. Very clearly outlining the very fact that there is none that is good. 
none that seek after God in that particular state. But Jesus said, no man can come unto me unless I were given him of my Father. No man can come unless God stirs them to come. To, no, no, no one really belongs to God who has not come to him. No, no one is saved unless they come to him, and all men are lost unless they come to him. Unless they come to him. There were three responses to the Lord's message. First response was there were those who who turned back. They forsook and, dis and deserted the Lord. They just turned away. And they walked away. Why? If Jesus was in fact talking about himself as being the one who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world and be hung on the cross, his body hung on the cross with our sins, his blood shed for, for the forgiveness of our sins, and we partake of his flesh and his blood in that manner of understanding why he came and, and, and what he came to do on our behalf. If that's what he was meaning, then what those were saying that were walking away was following Christ costs too much. Following Jesus costs us too much because it involved the cross. It involves complete denial of self. Again, I, I draw your attention to Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. The first thing Paul says in that verse is, I die to myself. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Second, there was the disciple who believed that Jesus was the Lord. Peter, speaking on behalf of the others. He used the name and the title Lord to the fullest extent of its meaning. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe, and we're sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the full extent of who Jesus was as the Lord. He declared that what Jesus had proclaimed, in other words, was true. The third response is a silent response that would come later on in the life of Judas himself. So I want to leave you this morning with this one verse of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Most of us are familiar with it because this is the only response that will bring the full extent of the benefits of partaking in and receiving Jesus Christ. But without faith, it is impossible to please him.
for he that cometh to God. Notice, he that comes to God. You got to come. Must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What that moment proved when the disciples turned around after all of this dramatic event they looked and they said where did everybody go? It is a stark reminder that those who remain with Christ diligently seek Him. Are we diligently seeking after Christ? Are we diligently seeking to partake of Him every day, continually, continually as our food? so that we might do the work, which is to believe in his name and to do those things that honor and bless God and give honor and glory to the one name above every name, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. There is no other name. And there is no other salvation apart from Jesus himself. But you can rest, rest assured how much Jesus loves you. <laughs> All in a simple little song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yes. 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 Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. And you too. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's how simple it is. And yet it is the most profound love that can ever be shown. Would you receive that love today with joy and with gladness of heart? Will you receive it? Three people will. Will you receive it? Let's pray.